previously on Rediscovering SB 1070. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for being here today to join me as we take another step forward in protecting the state of Arizona. With the nation watching, Brewer walked across the stage to sign the bill. Looking back, and at the time I think I felt that I was on the right side of history. I think I was on the right side of history. And I do not regret um, uh, doing what I did. It had to be done. Back at the White House, Obama criticized 1070 as misguided. But he also said the federal government's failure to pass comprehensive immigration reform was partly to blame. He said it would contribute to irresponsibility by others, a clear reference to Brewer's decision. In fact, I've instructed members of my administration to closely monitor the situation and examine the civil rights and other implications of this legislation. In 2010, just months after Senate Bill 1070 was signed, Dennis Hoffman traveled to Madison, Wisconsin. An economist with Arizona State University, Hoffman was there to watch the Sun Devils play football against the Badgers. And I remember Friday evening uh, marching down the streets and seeing other Sun Devil fans on the other side of the streets. And uh, we started a chant, let's go Devils, let's go Devils. And we went back and forth and we walked by this delightful um, uh, cafe where people were enjoying a glass of wine and they chimed right in, show us your papers. And uh, we, we laughed about it at the time and I thought, wow, that's their image. When they hear Arizona, that's their image of us. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. And I'm Ron Hansen. This is part four of Rediscovering SB 1070. In this episode, we'll look at what happened in Arizona and around the world after the state passed 1070. On April 23, 2010, Arizona Governor Jan Brewer signed Senate Bill 1070 into law. She did it with a national television audience watching. The aftershocks from Arizona's foray into immigration enforcement came quickly and from all corners. President Barack Obama made it clear he didn't like what Arizona was about to do. Our failure to act responsibly at the federal level will only open the door to irresponsibility by others. And that includes, for example, the recent efforts in Arizona, which threatened to undermine basic notions of fairness that we cherish as Americans, as well as the trust between police and their communities that is so crucial to keeping us safe. And he hinted at legal actions. In fact, I've instructed members of my administration to closely monitor the situation and examine the civil rights and other implications of this legislation. The legislation had international repercussions, too. A month after Brewer signed the bill, Mexican President Felipe Calderon spoke to the U.S. Congress in a long-planned speech intended to strengthen ties between the nations. Madam Speaker, the President of Mexico. During his address, he singled out Arizona's new law, saying it would not achieve what its supporters hoped. 
I strongly disagree with the recently adopted law in Arizona. It is a law that not only ignores a reality that cannot be erased by decree, but also introduced a terrible idea using racial, racial profiling as a basis for law enforcement. SB 1070's toll was monumental. While national leaders weighed in on what it would do, on the ground in Arizona, it was emptying neighborhoods. Here's Daniel Gonzalez, the Arizona Republic's immigration reporter. The thing that really stands out for me is that right after SB 1070 was passed, um, we had we started hearing that you know people were leaving, um, and I remember I was given an assignment to try to find somebody who was leaving the state, and I remember thinking that that might be kind of hard to do. Um, and I remember I got in my car and I drove over to the west side of Phoenix and it was absolutely staggering to see to drive through these neighborhoods and see entire streets where um, house after house after house were yard sales. And I went up to this, this woman and I asked her, you know, why she was having a yard sale. And she said, we're leaving. And um, I remember it was a very tearful goodbye because the, the kids uh, had some little pet dogs and um, they didn't want to, um, or the mom had lied to them and said they were going to bring the dogs, but then they couldn't bring the dogs with them. So at the very last minute, right before they got in the car, the mom had to break the news to them that they were giving the dogs to their neighbor. So the kids were already having to say bye to all of their friends and everything that, because the kids had grown up in the United States and then they, you know, they left the dogs there. The grim exodus played out quietly all over Arizona. To the rest of the country, the law served as a laugh track and spectacle. This week, Arizona signed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country, which would allow police to demand identification papers from anyone they suspect is in the country illegally. I know there's some people in Arizona worried that Obama is acting like Hitler, but can we all agree that there's nothing more Nazi than saying, show me your papers? <laughs> there's never been a World War II Late night comedians like NBC's Seth Meyers skewered Arizona. Every time someone says, show me your papers, Hitler's family gets a residual check. It, it turns out Arizona's the mess lab of democracy. Jon Stewart spoofed the state on Comedy Central's The Daily Show. That's tough. It's not unprecedented having to carry on your papers. It's the same thing that free black people had to do in 1863. <laughs> Lord knows that didn't leave any residual anger. Brewer maintains the late night shows didn't phase her. Well, you know, I never watched those nighttime shows because either I was working or I was sick because I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning and be somewhere. But uh, you know, I you know I didn't really pay much attention to that. You know, uh, you know, comedians go on and talk hosts go on, and you know they're looking for their for their ratings and they can say whatever they want. I surely hope that people don't get their information politically or uh, policy from from those kinds of people. You know, I think people probably more than likely, you know, they think it's funny. That's fine. I can laugh at myself, but I don't, you know, I, I don't pay much attention to that. But the images of Arizona as a racist, 
backward-looking state complicated economic conditions. All around the country, a kind of emotional civil war continues. Some people deciding to try to hit Arizona in the pocketbook. Today's While SB 1070 sat on Brewer's desk, Congressman Raul Grijalva, a Democrat from Tucson, called for a boycott of his own state. And I think Arizona deserves not um, uh, national organizations, conventions, uh, Super Bowls. They need to not be part of doing business with Arizona. Within weeks of signing the law, the state's tourism industry counted at least two dozen events that were canceled, costing millions of dollars in expected revenues. A number of cities, from Austin to Boston and from Seattle to St. Paul, next travel to or business with Arizona. Austin City Council just voted to restrict travel and boycott businesses in Arizona. Good afternoon, I'm Chris Willis. I'm Sally Hernandez. Although many of the bans ended within a few years, the Los Angeles business ban lasted until 2018. Los Angeles is not going to stand for bigotry, for racism, and for attacks on immigrants. This is an out-and-out brawl, a nation choosing sides. California's Governor Schwartz... In a show of solidarity with opponents of SB 1070, music groups canceled their shows across the state. Cypress Hill scrapped a show in Tucson. Hall & Oates were scheduled to play a concert after a baseball game, but nixed it because of the law. And a group of musicians created a coalition to boycott performances in protest of the law. And the artists of the soundstrike are fully committed to win. We thank our fans, and especially those in Arizona who understand we are also fighting for them. Thank you. The soundstrike campaign was organized by the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, and artists ranging from Kanye West to Los Tigres del Norte signed on in support. Todd Sanders was the president of the Greater Phoenix Chamber of Commerce at the time. The chamber represented 2,400 companies in Arizona, ranging from small mom-and-pop shops to mid-sized businesses and large companies. He said business owners who had been caught off guard by the legislation or presumed it wouldn't become a law, felt the need to respond. I think very quickly we saw the boycotts coming. And so for us in the business community, I think the strategy was um, don't hurt Arizonans who don't support this by deciding not to come here to support our local economy. That was a big message. Alfredo Gutierrez, the activist and former Democratic lawmaker who served in the Arizona State House, found that he had new allies in his battles against the state's immigration hardliners. Uh, they were panicked. I mean, they, there was delegations coming to see me. I felt very important again. Um, and the business community finally, finally realized that they had to do something. This was, the state was becoming a joke. I mean, it was the subject of, of uh, Lots of criticism, but lots of humor, too, aimed at the, the dorks uh, that lived in this state, the racists, the, uh, and, and folks who ran, you know, APS uh, and, and other major corporations began to get very embarrassed. Six months after Brewer signed SB 1070, a liberal policy institute in Washington commissioned an economic analysis from a Scottsdale consulting firm. The firm estimated that in the four months after the bill became law, the state missed out on $141 million in spending. 
And it cost Arizona about 2,700 jobs. In May 2010, while the law was still making its rounds on late-night TV, leaving a bad taste in many people's mouths, the Republican National Committee chose Tampa to host the 2012 Republican National Convention. Phoenix, along with Salt Lake City, had been a finalist, but the National Council of La Raza, a prominent Hispanic advocacy organization, asked the RNC not to select Phoenix. The GOP didn't pin its decision on SB 1070. Instead, they blamed the state's sizzling summer heat. But prominent conservatives, such as Karl Rove, noted that he wished Arizona had not passed the law. This was an indication that the repercussions of Senate Bill 1070 had bled not just into the economy, but into politics. Still, there was one event that stayed in Arizona, even though 1070's opponents tried to block it. For the first time ever, the All-Star game hits the desert, and the crowd here in Phoenix, Arizona is ready! In 2010, Major League Baseball refused to relocate the 2011 All-Star game from Chase Field in Phoenix. Critics of the law hoped to erase the All-Star game the same way the National Football League in 1990 canceled a future Super Bowl in Tempe after Arizona voters rejected the creation of a holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. This is not against the players, but the owners who are strong backers of the concern. It would be inconsistent with the traditions of Major League Baseball to have the All-Star game in a state that is deliberately discriminating against... The Players Union opposed the law, but didn't call for a boycott. Some Latino players, like the San Diego Padres' Adrian Gonzalez, said in 2010 he would not play the game if it were held in Phoenix because of a law he viewed as immoral. By the time the game happened in 2011, Gonzalez was a member of the Boston Red Sox and had a new view of 1070. He told ESPN the law had been tweaked a little, I hear, so it's a lot better than it was in the beginning. On the night of the All-Star game, Gonzalez hit a home run for the American League's only score of the night. The All-Star game in Phoenix went on as usual. One reason for that is because the American public generally agreed with 1070's aims. Here at home, a new poll shows the majority of Americans, 59%, support Arizona's tough law requiring police to check the documents. A CNN poll taken just as 1070 was set to go into effect found that 55% of Americans supported the law. And they did it with a clear-eyed view of what it could mean. Most said it would increase discrimination against Latinos, and only half thought it would help reduce illegal immigration. It wasn't long before other states, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Indiana, and Utah, had passed versions of Arizona's law. Americans, it seemed, wanted action. Well, whether you're for or against your law here in Arizona, you're on the cutting edge of a national debate. But at least a handful of states are trying to do almost exactly what Arizona did, and a bunch of other states are doing some similar things, essentially testing what Arizona did. How much rights do the states have to get into the... In all the talk about the consequences of 1070 on the state economy, it turns out not everyone thought it was so simple. For one thing, 1070 happened while Arizona was still in the grips of the Great Recession. The housing crash hit Arizona especially hard. 
The only other state that lost a greater share of its workforce during that downturn was Nevada. Half of Arizona's construction jobs vanished. And Arizona's 2008 employer sanctions law, the one that required business owners to verify their new hires were allowed to work, also helped drive down business, just as the overall economy started tanking. So blaming the state's poor economy on SB 1070 was easy, but probably not completely fair. Here's Dennis Hoffman, the ASU economist, to explain. As you went from 2007 to 2010, 11, 12, our construction employment base uh, collapsed uh, on the order of 50% or more. Many of those were undocumented workers uh, that left the state. Many would have left because there was no demand for their services. Uh, others left because of E-Verify. And those that were still here in uh, 2010 were encouraged to leave uh, by the, the, quote, show us your papers law. I would say that this legislation was akin to throwing jet fuel on a, a fire that was pretty well blazing at that point. Governor Brewer also pointed to Arizona's profound economic problems before SB 1070. And we were trying to come back from the terrible, terrible recession. And people um, weren't coming to Arizona. And I think that that was all blown totally out of proportion. I think maybe a couple of conferences uh, probably might have canceled. But I don't think it was in the amount that uh, we read about or that we heard about or people wanted to uh, uh, suggest that was going on. We were, nobody was, conferences weren't going on anywhere. You know, and the boycotts in Los Angeles are from California. Uh, you know, they weren't coming here to visit Vegas. So, uh, you know, I just don't buy into that. State Senator Russell Pierce, the law's author, said people overlook what 1070 saved taxpayers. Also reported by the Arizona Republic back then is the numbers that left. 100, 150,000 fled the state of Arizona. Uh, uh, I can tell you I was approached by a board school member in Mesa that said we the, 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 in our schools that are non-English speaking schools, they have several of them that are 95% non-English speaking elementary schools. They said we could close 13 elementary schools because of 1070. He said, we've lost complete neighborhoods down here or they have fled the state. I'm a little surprised at that. That's millions of dollars. The reality is the political fallout of 1070 was mixed. Although there was a boycott, it's hard to say how much that contributed to a loss of business. After all, the Great Recession was in swing at this point. It's fair to say that Arizona's reputation took a hit, and it was devastating to the Latino community throughout the state. And the fallout for those who were involved was mixed as well. Let's start with Jan Brewer. Before she signed SB 1070, the governor was seen as vulnerable in the Republican primary, after she signed it, Brewer pulled away from the pack. She easily defeated her three GOP challengers in the August primary and defeated Democrat Terry Goddard by 12 percentage points in November. Tonight, the people have redeemed and renewed America. Brewer's political team that helped propel her to victory thinks 1070 played only a small part in her November win. We, we had literally 
spent blood, sweat, and tears on getting the state to a financial position that we could operate. I remember we were doing, um, we'd done polling um, from the very beginning, tracking where she was. After she passed uh, the budget bill, she cleared the field because we demonstrated to the electorate she could govern. But the governor herself attributes the victory in part to SB 1070. But I think that 1070, you know, made me sort of a, a national figure as a fighter. And I think that, you know, there again, uh, people finally had somebody that was willing to stand up and believed in the rule of law and was going to go down fighting. And, um, and, 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 and I did. And um, that was my goal. And I know that when I started out running that, you know, the polls were really against me, but I just forged ahead and um, won overwhelmingly, by the way, when I won my election. So uh, I guess uh, going out and campaigning and telling the story the way it is and being a truth teller and doing the right thing, even though a lot of times it's a hard thing to do, um, made me uh, get reelected. But Brewer wasn't the only one who found success in taking a hardline stance against immigration. Senator John McCain had previously made several attempts at passing bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform. But after SB 1070, McCain pivoted. Two years after he was the Republican presidential nominee, McCain was fending off a primary challenge from J.D. Hayworth, a former congressman. Hayworth was a border hawk, so McCain's re-election campaign veered right. John McCain, once a champion for immigrant rights, is scrambling to be identified with that fence. McCain turned to his former running mate, Sarah Palin, and Pinal County Sheriff Paul Babieu to help see him through. In a commercial taped along the border, Babieu assured viewers that McCain is one of us. McCain memorably told the sheriff that his plan was to complete the danged fence and complete the dang fence. It'll work this time. Senator, you're one of us. McCain's hard right turn worked. Congratulations to uh, my great friend John McCain. We've campaigned together since the primary. He easily defeated Hayworth and then-Democrat Rodney Glassman to win a fifth term in the Senate. And remember Representative Grijalva's call for a boycott? After uh, consultation with many good uh, corporations, uh, such as SRP, Marriott, uh, PepsiCo, who have publicly uh, stated and are actively uh, opposed to much of the, the, the legislation in Arizona that's going on and being proposed, uh, we felt that it was time to, uh, to pull back on that. By October, facing the closest race of his career, Grijalva said he was ending his protest political novice Ruth McClung, a Republican, came within six percentage points of him in a district that normally leaned lopsided to the left. Uh, it, it, it wasn't having the strategic impact that it should. The politics of 1070 were good for Brewer and Arizona Republicans at the time. It appears that Ken Bennett will be our Secretary of State. Tom Horn, our Attorney General. John Ducey, our state treasurer. John Hoopenthal, our superintendent of public instruction. And tonight we see the fruits of a united party. 
Russell Pierce not only won another term in the Senate, his Republican colleagues elevated him to the chamber's president. After Pierce's easy re-election, he went to the state capitol for the 2011 session with more immigration bills on his agenda. And when the legal battles over 1070 came, they were ready. Four days after Brewer signed 1070 into law, the state faced its first lawsuit. Within days, there were more. SB 1070 facing another hurdle. Good afternoon, I'm Susan. The cities of Tucson and Flagstaff sued. Police officers sued. It's not often a police officer speaks out publicly against the laws he's sworn to uphold. Immigrants' rights and civil liberties groups sued. In July, the U.S. Justice Department sued. Today's new immigration law under attack tonight by the U.S. government. Thanks for choosing us. I'm Katie Rammel. And I'm Steve Irvin. The Department of Justice filing a lawsuit earlier today claiming Arizona is undermining its authority by trying to enforce... Arizona's Attorney General, Democrat Terry Goddard, opposed the law and agreed to step aside rather than try to defend it. So Brewer started a legal defense fund to protect SB 1070. Donations flooded in from all over the country. One day before SB 1070 was set to go into effect on July 28th, a federal judge in Phoenix issued an injunction. Breaking news, as it's happening right now, the judge, Judge Bolton, just released documents in regards to her decision on SB 1070 and what will happen to SB 1070. The injunction blocked the heart of the law from being used. Police would not be required to check the immigration status of those they suspected could be undocumented. And the state of Arizona could not criminally charge immigrants for failing to carry the documents the federal government required. Nine months later, a federal appeals court upheld that decision to temporarily block the most controversial aspects of the law from going into effect. Arizona, the judges wrote, was trying to form policies in areas reserved for the federal government. For Brewer, there was no question of what she would do next. Her legal team appealed the matter to the U.S. Supreme Court. After all, this was what Russell Pierce had anticipated when crafting it. Pierce had written and faced challenges over dozens of other immigration-related bills in his past. By this time, he was something of an expert. And with 1070, he wrote it with the specific intention of passing constitutional muster. In April 2012, when the U.S. Supreme Court took up Senate Bill 1070, he'd get his chance to see it through. That is, if Brewer didn't keep it from him. I was told by her, her counsel and her uh, that uh, I, I'd be there for the debate at, at, uh, in D.C., you know, for the hearing, the Supreme Court hearing. Uh, and uh, so anyway, you check the list, and, and I'm not on the list, and so I, I called two or three times. Rich Park says, don't worry about it. She'll get you on there. Her counsel, her, her um, uh, solicitor general, if you will, uh, I talked to him, and he said, no problem. You'll be there. And so I, I made hotel arrangements. I made all the arrangements I need to go, and when I get there, I'm not on the list. The distance between Brewer and Pierce that nearly kept him from the signing of the law in Arizona almost kept him from sitting in on the case at the Supreme Court. But in the end, a friend, Representative Steve King, helped him get a seat. 
So he calls me back and he says, you're on the list. You've got a seat and a better seat than the governor would have given you. I said, how do you do that? He says, I called Judge Justice Roberts at home. And he said, and told him what the story was. And he said, he's got a seat. The governor doesn't recall the details of who got tickets, who didn't, or whether they were even needed to attend the court's arguments. I remember going to the Supreme Court, you know, and it's Andrew Day O'Connor, uh, you know, we were meeting in her office and uh, waiting to go out into the courtroom, and there was lots of people there, and I remember leaving the courtroom and coming down, and I never saw so much press in my life. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, unbelievable. Um, in history, the pictures were just, you know, that's breathtaking to see what was going on out there at that time. But as far as Russell, you know, again, I, I, I don't under, I don't know the logistics. I don't know. Do people get invited to the Supreme Court? I don't know. Tensions were high as the case came before the justices. The stately and smallish courtroom was packed. We'll hear argument this morning in case 11-182, Arizona versus the United States. Legally, the case pitted the state of Arizona against the United States government. But the case had the feeling of a grudge match about it. Mr. Clement. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The state of Arizona bears a disproportionate share of the cost. The of case the focused on the question of how much latitude the state had without cutting into federal authority. During oral arguments, the justices signaled they were troubled by parts of 1070. There, what happens if this is the following call, the call to the, um, to the federal government? Yes, he's an illegal alien. No, we don't want to detain him. What does the law say, the Arizona law say, with respect to releasing that individual? But how would the state officer know if the person is removable? I mean, that's sometimes a complex inquiry. Same if it takes two weeks to make that determination, could the alien be held by the state for that whole period of time? Well, I don't Just think under Section 6? Anyway, if, if this is a problem, is, is it an immigration law problem? It, or is it a Fourth Amendment problem? Justice Scalia, it's is, neither. Is the government's attack on this that it violates the Fourth Amendment? No, of course the federal government that also has a lot of immigration arrests that are subject to the Fourth Amendment is not making... Two months later the Supreme Court handed down a dense, divided opinion that struck down three out of four parts of the law. The justices focused mainly on the question of preemption, or the idea that federal law prevails when it's in conflict with state law. The majority struck down 1070's provisions, criminalizing seeking work and being in the country illegally. It also disallowed warrantless arrests for deportable offenses. But the court left intact the centerpiece of 1070. That's the requirement that police inquire about someone's legal status when they seem to be an undocumented immigrant. Justice Anthony Kennedy, the court's customary swing vote, said Arizona had to recognize there were limits to what it could do. With power comes responsibility. And the sound exercise of national power over immigration depends on the nation's meeting its responsibility to base its laws on a political will informed by searching, thoughtful, rational civic discourse. Arizona may have understandable frustrations with the problems caused by illegal immigration while that process continues. 
but the state may not pursue policies that undermine federal law. Justice Antonin Scalia, the court's stalwart conservative, was disappointed his colleagues failed to uphold the law in full. I would uphold all the provisions of the Arizona law. He delivered a dissent in court, which was seen as remarkable for its attacks on the Obama administration's policies at the time. Arizona has attached consequences under state law to acts that are unlawful under federal law. But to say, as the court does, that Arizona contradicts federal law by enforcing applications of federal immigration law that the president declines to enforce boggles the mind. The ruling didn't address the racial profiling concerns that many in the immigrant community feared most. And it specifically kept open the possibility that such concerns could be grounds to revisit the papers, please, portion of the law. But for now, at least, 1070's controversial core was preserved. The state could require police to inquire about the legal status of those they suspect of being undocumented immigrants. Senator Russell Pierce was a bit deflated to see the high court knock down parts of his law, but on the whole, he was pleased. But again, the maiden parts were upheld. The, the, the meat of the bill was upheld. And that's why I get a little tired when, when people talk about 1070 and it wasn't able. Everything important was upheld. I put a couple of pieces in there that you can put icing on the cake, if you will. But there wasn't the meat of the bill. To those casually opposed to 1070, winning on three of four counts might have seemed like a victory. But in the immigrant community... The fact that the high court preserved the right to seek legal documents on demand left a deep, lingering fear of discrimination and deportation. Here's community activist Carlos Garcia. It was a dividing moment. The parts that were blocked were the parts that impacted U.S. citizens, right? The trafficking piece, the transporting piece, those sorts of things. The part the racial profiling piece, the 2B, that forced every officer to be like Arpaio, detained my friend's father right before Thanksgiving, and he was just released last week. Um, That still continues. It weakened us in the sense that it divided and said, okay, you can still go after the undocumented people, but all these other charges of, if you're transporting someone, of a citizen getting in trouble, you all are fine. Right? There was always this narrative like, oh my God, 1070, if there's a priest that, or, a fa- or a, you know, a priest driving a car full of undocumented folks, that priest is going to be criminalized. So then people would come fight for that priest. And the things that got taken out, we were grateful that it wasn't worse, but the racial profile piece stayed. From their vantage point, this was something they had lived with for long enough. SB 1070 changed every aspect of their lives. Many stayed at home and only left if they absolutely had to, to go to work, school, or the grocery store. Carmen Guerrero, a retired reverend who worked for the Bishop of the Episcopal Church, remembered her immigrant parishioners were afraid to attend church services. They were so scared they would only enter and leave church through the back door. Well, they, they, were, they were talking about figuring out ways to be able to participate in, in a quote-unquote religious community, the church, uh, without getting caught. 
and and so you know a lot of times people were in, were were in the church sending texts to people don't take that highway don't take that road because the you know the, the sheriff's group is there and and warning each other uh, a lot of uh, breaking up of families not taking them into consideration even some people who were not undocumented decided to leave here's alfredo gutierrez it was sort of people knew i mean and if they could get away they got away um uh and a lot of people, by the way, who were documented got away. They said, I just don't want to be here, man. I, you know, this, this, this place is full of hate. I just don't want to be here. Uh, but if they could get away, they got away. Uh, they moved away. More importantly, they lived in fear. But while thousands of people left Arizona, far more stayed. And many of them weren't going to hide. After years of trying to find common ground to prevent hostile legislation, these activists were ready to engage more directly. Here again is Carlos Garcia. 2005, we tried uh, taking flags from people and giving them all U.S. flags and making them all wear white and all these tactics where we were thinking of either not pissing off the right wing or the middle folks coming along with us and trying to prove we are America. The coalition was called Somos America, we are America. To me, that hurt us because the people that wanted us gone were never going to believe that that's, that's what it was. They were still going to see our skin color. They were going to see whether we were documented or not. And so by the time we get to five years later in SB 1070, it's no longer apologizing about who we are, but asserting who we are and asserting our rights. After 1070 was signed, his group became more organized than ever. The week after the signage, the May 1st action, to me is, is a symbolic of what we've done the last 10 years. We tried something that we had never tried before, which was on May 1st, we called for a rally at the Capitol and we divided people up into groups depending on where they lived. It was the beginning for Puente of the defense committees. How can we start organizing people in different parts of the valley, teaching them their rights, and then creating the defense committees? And we created 26 defense committees and had meetings across the valley. So it was, it was a marker of changing of strategy that week. It was literally us shifting. We are gonna have to go in defense mode and organize at another level than kind of the activist work that we had been doing before. It wasn't long before opponents of 1070 achieved their first big win. Fate of Arizona Senate President Russell Pierce is now in your hands. A group seeking to remove the senator from office has collected enough signatures to force a recall election. The group Citizens for a Better Arizona, led by a liberal community organizer, began gathering signatures to recall Senator Russell Pierce. He had won re-election and had just become the new Senate president. Many of the same activists, immigrants, and Democrats who descended on the state capitol to oppose SB 1070 galvanized around the effort to recall Pierce. And remember Tony Valdivinos, the student who found out he was undocumented when he tried to join the Marines? It was painful to um, literally not have the ability to do anything in your life other than hide. Well, he worked with dozens of volunteers walking the neighborhoods of Pierce's West Mesa district. 
Tony and other recall supporters gathered more than 10,000 signatures to force a recall election. The area was largely conservative, blue-collar, and included the city's downtown. It was home to Mesa's poorest neighborhoods and lowest-performing schools. Faith would also play a role in the recall contest. Pierce's district included Arizona's first temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Valdovinos remembered talking to thousands of voters about Pierce's legislation, his political ideology, and his political associates. You know, we connected the dots for folks over Russell Pierce's, you know, extreme, you know, brotherhood with Joe Arpaio and what they wanted to accomplish together. Um, And uh, you have Arpaio, you know, going to activist homes at the middle of the night, pulling them out because they're put, you know, they're calling him out. The effort was a referendum on whether the 71,000 voters in the district supported Pierce's tough approach to illegal immigration. At the same time, the Arizona Republic published articles detailing how Pierce had attended college football games across the country paid for by the Fiesta Bowl. A major shakeup today at the Fiesta Bowl. CEO John Junker was fired after an independent review found that the organization improperly reimbursed employees for contributions to political candidates. His financial disclosure records with the legislature didn't properly acknowledge the gifts, and Pierce offered shifting accounts of what had happened. By November 2011, the political environment at the State House was changing. Pierce had seen his fellow Republicans reject other immigration bills. A federal judge had put the brakes on 1070, and now his name was tied to a Fiesta Bowl scandal that threatened the game's national standing. Voters in the recall election could choose between Pierce and Jerry Lewis, a fellow LDS member and charter school executive who offered a more measured style of conservatism. Pierce said it was retribution by liberal activists, unions, and their financial supporters for his work on SB 1070. In the end, voters chose Lewis. Thanks to all of those who campaigned so feverishly for a fresh voice in Mesa and a civil tone to politics. Just 12 months ago, in November 2010, my opponent won re-election in a landslide. When we started this campaign, we were under no illusion as to the odds of our success. Our opponent was the most powerful politician in Arizona and one who had deep pockets. Still, everybody assumed I'd win. And, and I think a lot of people didn't work hard, said, you can't beat Russell Pierce. I said, guys, don't underestimate these people. So it was tough because at that point, I think I probably could have ran for almost any office of state won. And so it was disappointing because it was misinformation. It was character assassination. You know, there's so much misinformation out there. If I believed half of what I'm hearing, I wouldn't vote for me. So, you know, I mean, good grief, guys. And so anyway, so there was a combination of things that did that and, uh, and extremely, extremely disappointing. But Pierce's recall wasn't the only win the immigrants' rights community wanted. The incomplete victory at the Supreme Court sent people like Garcia and Valdovinos back to work. Not to change 1070, but to change the state's political system. Next time on Rediscovering SB 1070.
Nothing lasts forever. Not in politics, not in policy. Change can come slowly, but it does happen. It sometimes felt like you could hold a meeting of the House Democratic Caucus in your state house, you know, in a phone booth. It felt like uh, uh, we needed more uh, troops. And now you look today, you know, the through line, uh, 29 out of 60 members of the House are, are Democrats. Long a safe bet for Republican presidential candidates, Arizona has joined the ranks of hotly contested battleground states. Even when my coworkers, I'm just like, don't forget to vote. You know, it's really important, especially if we want to see a change. If we really do want to see a change, we need to go out and vote. This podcast was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell, Maritza Dominguez, and Taylor Seeley. Reporting by Yvonne Winget Sanchez, Daniel Gonzalez, and myself, Ron Hansen. Script supervision came from Katie O'Connell, Daniel Gonzalez, and our director for storytelling and innovation, John Adams. Greg Burton is our executive editor. Social media for this podcast came from Danielle Woodward, Grace Palmieri, Garrett Mitchell, Angel Mendoza, and Claire Rafford. Web production by John Paul McDonald. Audio in this episode comes from Fox News, The Associated Press, NBC, ABC News, Comedy Central, and MSNBC. Additional audio from KXAN Austin, California Senate Democrats, Soundstrike, MLB TV, CNN, ABC 15 Arizona, Nonprofit News, and Arizona PBS. Thanks so much for listening to Rediscovering, SB 1070, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.